Chapter Eight, Part One of the English Language by Logan Pearsall Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Language and History: The Modern Period. By the end of the fourteenth century, the English language had absorbed into itself the greater part of the vocabulary of medieval learning and had been formed into a standard and literary form of speech for the whole nation but from the point of view of vocabulary the fifteenth century marks a pause england exhausted and demoralized by its disastrous conflicts abroad in france and by the wars of the roses at home had little energy to devote to the higher interests of civilization literature languished and the vocabulary of this period shows but little advance on that of the previous age some medical and chemical terms were added to it the poems of lydgate at the beginning and the works printed by caxton at the end of the century contain many new words but we cannot find in them many signs of new conceptions or of any great additions to life and thought perhaps the most curious of these new terms are the words derived from medieval games and sports and the large accession of sea terms borrowed from the dutch which make their appearance at about this time among hawking terms had already appeared in the previous century the word reclaim derived through the french from the latin reclamare reclamare however meant in latin to cry out against to contradict it acquired in hawking the technical sense of calling back a hawk to the fist and so the notion of calling back or reclaiming a person from a wrong course of action among fifteenth-century hawking words may be mentioned rebate which meant to bring back to the fist a baiting hawk to allure from the older lure of obscure etymology an apparatus for recalling hawks and to rouse used first for the hawks shaking its feathers haggard is a somewhat later word and being used of a wild hawk has been derived from the french word for hedge hay h a i e but this etymology is doubtful among early terms borrowed from the chase is the word to worry which meant to seize by the throat and the curious verb to muse which is believed to be derived from the same word as muzzle and to mean originally the action of a dog holding up his nose or muzzle to sniff the air when in doubt about the scent the early word scent s-c-e-n-t derived ultimately from the latin sentire was first a hunting term and the later word sagacious meant originally in english acute of scent retrieve the french retrouver is also a hunting term and our verb to abet is supposed to come through the french from the norse b-e-i-t-a to cause to bite and if so is perhaps like tryst another hunting term one of the few scandinavian words preserved by the normans after their settlement in france its original meaning was to bait or hound dogs on their prey and then 
from the action of inciting someone to commit a crime, it acquired its present meaning. A relay was originally a set of fresh hounds posted to take up the chase. A couple was a leash for holding two hounds together. Ruse, which is the same word as rush, was a doubling or turning of the hunted animal. And the hounds was said to run riot when they followed the wrong scent. Our verb to rove is a term of 15th century archery, obscure in origin. It meant originally to shoot arrows at a mark selected at random. It has no connection with rover, a sea term word borrowed from the Dutch and cognate with our old word reaver, R-E-A-V-E-R, -E -E or robber. These words give us a little glimpse into the sports of our medieval ancestors, and we may add to them the verb to check or checkmate, a chess term derived through the Arabian from the Persian shah or king. The later terms derived from sports are bias, the colloquial phrase to bowl over, and the word rub in the familiar phrase there's the rub, all from the game of bowls while crestfallen and white feather come to us from the cockpit. Our language shows the close connection that existed from early medieval times between England and the Low Countries. Pack, from which package and packet are derived, is an early word in English used in the wool trade and apparently came to us in the 12th or 13th century from the Dutch or Flemish traders. Spool, stripe, and the verb to scour are thought to be technical terms brought in by the Flemish workmen whom Edward III settled in England to improve English manufactures. Tub and scum are possibly early brewing terms borrowed from the Dutch or Flemish, like the word hops, which came to us from the Low Countries in the 15th century. But many of the most important Dutch words in English are sea terms. Indeed, our nautical vocabulary is largely Dutch in origin and shows how much our early sailors owed to the mariners and fishermen of the Low Countries. Among the words that have been traced with more or less certainty to Dutch, Flemish or Low German sources, bowsprit and skipper are to be found in the 14th century, while in the 15th appear hoy, pink, scout, keel and lighter, for the names of boats, pump and leak, both first found in nautical use, orlop, marlin, freight and boy, b-u-o-y. The connection between Dutch and English sailors long remained a close one, and among later additions to the English sea vocabulary, which are probably Dutch in origin, are reef, belay, dock, mesh, aloof and flyboat, which appears in the 16th century, and the 17th century words sloop, yacht, commodore, yawl, cruise and cruiser, bow and boom, keelhaul, jibe and avast. If the 15th century made but few additions to the vocabulary of English thought and culture, the century that followed this period of intellectual barrenness was one of unexampled richness and splendour. 
It was in this century that the effects of the revival of learning reached England, and the study of classical Latin and Greek soon exerted a powerful influence on the language. Although the learned words borrowed in the 14th century were most of them ultimately derived from classical antiquity, they may yet be compared to the architectural forms and ornaments which were borrowed by Gothic architecture from Roman buildings, but which were transformed and assimilated by the Gothic spirit. These words were Greek or Roman in origin, but medieval in sentiment and meaning, and served, like the borrowed architectural forms and ornaments, to build up the great religious and Gothic edifice of medieval thought. But now, just as classical forms began to replace Gothic architecture, so Latin and Greek words began to appear in English, not borrowed through the medium of low Latin or medieval French, but taken direct from the classics. We note in this century the appearance of many Renaissance words like Arcadian, Dryad, Hesperian, Elysian, which brought with them the echoes of the great poetry of Greece and Rome. At the same time, a secular meaning was given to many old words, which had hitherto had only a religious use and signification. It was indeed in this century that the foundations were laid of the new and modern world in which we live. Old words were given new meanings, or borrowed, to express the new conceptions, activities and interests, which have coloured and formed the life of the last three centuries. To the more fundamental of these conceptions and their immense effect on the vocabulary of English, we must devote a special chapter. First, it will be well to mention the deposit of words left in the language by the various historical and religious movements and events of the 16th and succeeding centuries. The first great modern movement was, of course, the Protestant Reformation. The name Protestant came to England probably from Germany. The old word Reformation was given a new use, and the derivatives Reformed and Reformer were made from it. Evangelical and sincere were new words much used by the Protestants of their doctrines, and now, by their unfortunate identification of the Hebrew Sabbath with the Christian Sunday, they fastened on that day the sabbatic law of the Old Testament. Godly, in its modern sense, is first found with the new derivatives godliness and godless in Tyndale's writings. Religion, which was used before of rites and observances, or of monastic orders, was given by the Protestants its new and important abstract meaning of belief and the state of mind it induces. Pious was another of their new words, and the old piety, which had sometimes been used for pity, acquired from them its modern meaning. These words are a testimony of the new and inner religious life of the Protestants, and the Roman Catholic words mission and missionary which were first used of the Jesuit missions, shows the zeal of their opponents. This zeal showed itself also in a new crop of controversial words. Pernicious, faction and factious first appeared in the writings of Catholic controversialists, who, however, were soon eclipsed by the superior linguistic powers of the Protestants. 
it is in terms of abuse as we have already noticed that the gift for language is most vigorously displayed and tyndale coverdale and latimer to whom the english bible and the church service owe so much made liberal use also of their word-creating faculty to invent terms of obloquy for those who opposed their views dunce which was derived from the name of the scholastic philosopher Scotus, first appears with romish popery popishness in the works of tyndale duncely monkery popishly were used by latimer luther's word romanist was apparently introduced by coverdale who also seems to have invented for his own use duncical babylonical and babylonish other terms of protestant vituperation which belong to this period are babylonian malignant papish papistical monkish with terms that are now obsolete such as popling duncery and the once common abbey lubber bigoted and bigotry are words of protestant abuse of a somewhat later date the history of roman catholic is a curious one the terms roman romanist and romish had acquired by the end of the sixteenth century so invidious a meaning that the need for a non-controversial term was felt and roman catholic was adopted for this purpose it was employed as the oxford dictionary states for conciliatory reasons in the negotiations for the spanish marriage of charles i and thus found its way into general use while still engaged in their quarrel with the old faith the protestants soon began those controversies among themselves by which the english vocabulary has been enriched already in the sixteenth century we note the words puritan precise and precision and also libertine which was first used as the name of the antinomian sect of anabaptist reprobate is a sinister word which belongs to this period being a calvinist term for souls rejected by god and foredoomed to eternal misery to turn however from these old controversies to secular matters we find that the english language became after the middle of the sixteenth century greatly enriched by far-fetched and exotic words gathered from the distant east and west by the english travellers merchants and adventurous pirates the english people who had so long used their energies in the vain attempt to conquer france found now at last their true vocation in seamanship and their true place of expansion in the trade and finally the empire of india and america the exotic words that have found their way into english before this date had as we have seen come almost entirely at second hand by way of france but now that england was forming a more independent civilization of her own and englishmen were getting for themselves a wider knowledge of the world the french influence though still strong was not paramount and these travellers words were borrowed either directly from native languages or from the speech of the portuguese dutch and spaniards who had preceded english sailors in the distant countries of the east and west of our words belonging to this period 
and derived from the languages of india and the far east calico was taken from the name of calicut coolie and curry seem to have come through portuguese the malayan words bamboo cockatoo through dutch junk through spanish or italian and gong another word from malay was probably a direct borrowing indigo is from the portuguese monsoon is believed to be an arabian word but it came to us from the dutch who had borrowed it from the portuguese typhoon is also arabian but ultimately greek in origin from the near east coffee is an arabian and dervish a persian word reaching us through turkish while harim and hashish and magazine were borrowed direct from arabian banana is supposed to be a native african word from the congo district it reached us like negro through portuguese or spanish the early words from the languages of the west indies mexico and south america all come to us as we might expect from the language of the early spanish conquerors and explorers of these countries alligator is a popular corruption of the spanish name for the lizard el or al lagato chocolate cocoa tomato are mexican cannibal hurricane hammock savannah maize caribbean words while canoe tobacco and potato are from the island of haiti and guano from peru all these come to us through the medium of spanish cannibal and canoe are of interest to us as words brought back to europe by christopher columbus and in cannibal as in the name west indies and in indian for the american aborigines is embodied the geographical era of the time when columbus believed that in his voyage across the atlantic he had reached what are now called the east indies for when he heard the name canaba which is simply a variant of carib or caribes he thought that it signified that this savage people were subjects of the grand khan of tartary whose domains he believed to be not far distant other words associated with early travellers are mulatto which is first found in the account of drake's last voyage and breeze which in the sixteenth century was an adaptation of the spanish brisa a name for the northeast trade wind in the spanish main and which first appears in the account of one of hawkins's voyages with these old sailors words we may associate the words brought back to england by captain cook from the pacific in the eighteenth century tattoo kangaroo and taboo sassafras seems to be the earliest word borrowed from north america if indeed it be not a corruption of the latin saxifraga and came into english through the spanish the seventeenth century words from north america moccasin persimmon opossum tomahawk hickory terrapin were borrowed directly from indian speech by the english settlers of north america there is much in the history and etymology of words that is merely curious and quaint and possesses little but an archaeological interest that trousers should be traced back to the greek thersos 
and that banjo and galoshes should also be able to boast of an illustrious greek descent is certainly interesting but these associations can do but little to add poetic dignity to such words other words there are that gain immensely in value when we know their history and among them must be counted these exotic words of elizabethan travel and adventure cannibal hurricane alligator savannah breeze monsoon and we still may feel some of the strangeness of remote people and places that echoed in them when far-travelled seamen brought them back to english seaports from the indian ocean or the spanish main to the war with spain in the reign of elizabeth we owe the spanish words embargo and contraband and the dutch word freebooter among other dutch or flemish terms that were perhaps brought back to england by soldiers from their campaigns in the low countries may be mentioned furlough cashier liga sconce onslaught drill and domineer comrade is a spanish word but seems to have been a soldier's term learnt in the low countries and forlorn hope is a military phrase being the dutch verloren hope in which hope means a troop and is cognate with our word heap the separation from rome the founding of a national church the war with spain and the great victory over the armada did much to awaken englishmen to a sense of national pride and consciousness in the middle ages england shared in the cosmopolitan civilization of europe with its catholic church and its ideal of a universal empire dynastic pretensions were paramount to those of nationality and even the claim of english kings to the french crown was supported by a considerable part of the population of that country but in the sixteenth century the ideal of nationality of political unity and independence began to take the prominent place in men's thoughts and feelings which it has since preserved and we can trace this growth in the curiously late appearance in the english language of what we may call patriotic terms nation was an early word but it was used more with the notion of different races than that of national unity and was indeed commonly employed to describe any class or kind of persons it gained its present meaning in the sixteenth century and late in that century we find the adjective national formed from it and we can note at about the same date the appearance of such terms as fellow countrymen and mother country fatherland and compatriot appear a little later and patriot and patriotic belong to the middle of the seventeenth century but did not acquire their present meaning until a hundred years later at which time patriotism is found public in the sense of public spirited belongs to the early seventeenth century but public a hyphen spirit and public a hyphen spirited are somewhat later end of section thirteen